Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. I'm your host, Alex Burkett. This week, Scott Aaron joins us. He's an author, speaker, podcast host, and a human connection expert. And he's here to talk about how he rise to the challenge to get to where he is today. He talks about what his family made an impact in his life and how he takes each opportunity to create a difference in this world. If you're new to the podcast, you can follow and subscribe us on all major podcast platforms. And we are now on Pandora. Each week we have a quick fire challenge. And this week we're going very simple. But it's stay positive, work hard, make it happen. A lot of my guests, they talk about that you're in control of what happens in this world. You make the difference in what you want to accomplish each day. If you work hard, the dreams that you have are going to happen, and you can make it happen each step of the way. So I want you to relax and sit back and enjoy the Rise to the Challenge of Scott Aaron. Please welcome my guest at this time, Scott Aaron. How are you doing today, Scott? Alex, doing great. Just uh, grateful and honored to be here. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for the opportunity to learn more about you. I love your post that you share on LinkedIn as it's inspiring and motivating for people during this time to reach out and go for their goals and just do what they want to do to make themselves happy and staying positive. So each guests that come on the show, we talk about each stages of their career and their experiences and how it's motivated them to rise up to their challenge. So the first thing I want to start off with is what were you involved with growing up? Did you have any inspirations, passions, or motivations in life? So it, that's an interesting question. So I, I was a, a, a really, really a big athlete. I, um, for, my first love was baseball. And, you know, I had the luxury of having my father as my as my coach, uh, my best friend, Chad. Uh, we, we played together. His dad was also so our dads coached us. And it was a very, very special time in our lives. And at a, I started playing, you know, I played soccer, didn't really I mean, I liked it, but didn't really fall in love with it. And then I started playing uh, T-ball first and then got into to basketball at around nine or 10 years old. And I, I fell in love with it. And uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't great at it. Uh, in the very beginning, just, you know, anything that you learn. But that became a, a huge passion of mine. Uh, I was also very blessed because my, my group of friends were very athletic minded. We we used to play home run derby with wiffle ball in, in our backyards. We used to have two on two on three and three basketball games. Like we were my, my buddy Chad at a tennis court. So like anything that we could do competitively, we would. And I, I really started to excel at basketball. I remember playing every day, uh, whether it was raining, whether it was snowing, I would go out and I would shoot. And, you know, I, I did uh, try out for the high school team and I got offered uh, a spot on the, on the JV squad my senior year. But again, it was my senior year of high school. And I said, you know, give it to someone younger that, you know, needs to excel. 
I mean, I, and, and, I mean, my, my big, my first big goal was to play in the NBA, but when you're, you're five, nine white and Jewish, you, you, the, <laughs> the, the cards are, are kind of stacked against you. Not, not to say that it couldn't be done, but you don't really see too many people, uh, five foot nine, but it just, but I, I made the best of the skills that I had. I, I, I have a lot of phenomenal memories. You know, I went to overnight camp for, uh, six summers and we, it was, you know, we, we traveled to other camps and we were known as the, the basketball juggernaut. Uh, I, I played travel ball in my township. So I got to experience that aspect. It was, it was wonderful. Then as I got a little bit older in high school, I also, I grew up in a very uh, musical family. Uh, my father played piano. My, uh, I, I played saxophone a little bit and recently have picked up the guitar my my sister played violin and a little bit of piano but mu music was the big thing listening to music and my father got us into you know some rock and roll but mostly 70s funk so parliament funkadelic earth wind and fire gap band uh the commodores all the old it was just a big part of our family but then i kind of finding my my own uh track fell in love with uh, jam bands, Grateful Dead, Led Zeppelin, all those types of bands, and, and I found Fish. And I actually became a, a fish head in high school. Uh, I, I logged close to, to 90 shows uh, when I was wow. actively going to see them. And, you know, when I don't have hair anymore, but when I did, I had a really big Jufro, a big, big Afro. I have great pictures. And it was a, it was a passion, you know, I rem back in the day, I remember my, my one of my best friends, Alex. We, when you when you would go to concerts back in the day, you actually would do something called mail order if you wanted to get the tickets before they went on sale. So you would have to fill out these mail order slips, and you would have to go to UPS, and you would have to send off. And three months later, you would get your tickets. And we used to drive up and down. I I've seen shows as far south as. Florida as far north as Maine and as far west as California and all states in between. And that was another big passion. And then inherently my, my father was also a fitness buff. So the, the fitness side and the athletic side was always in me, but I didn't know that, that health and wellness was going to be my career starting at 19, but certain circumstances in my life, my, my father, in business ended up making some some bad decisions uh one in in one company namely he he ended up uh becoming part of a, a 9.5 million dollar insurance fraud case which landed him in federal prison for two and a half years and prior to that my father had bought his first fitness club which was then turned over to me at 18 and a half when i was a sophomore in college and that basically became my entranceway into not only health and wellness, but entrepreneurship. I was working full-time and going to school full-time at almost 19 years old and have been in some way, shape or form, the health, wellness, coaching industry ever since. And, and I just turned 41. So it's, it's been an incredible, you know, 22 and a half year ride and it's only getting better. 
So when you were younger, you mentioned something, how your dad introduced you to 70s music. I know I can relate to that. When I was growing up, when I was born, my dad would play Led Zeppelin, Van Halen, Rush, all those rock bands. And I grew up appreciating those times. And when someone asks me, oh, what's my favorite music? I always mention mm -hmm. 80s, 90s rock because that was what I grew up with. And when you were growing up, did you find skills that you never knew you had in you? Like you learned more about yourself, like when you were playing basketball, music, something from there? Well, you know, I, I just started playing guitar since we've been on quarantine and I've, I've picked that up pretty quickly. Uh, I'm a very, very dedicated person. And I, I, don't, I don't strive to be the best, but for me, it's, it's really strange. I always, looking back, I've always rot, risen to the occasion. When, when playing baseball, you know, I, I ended up being an all-star almost every year, N not because I, I was better than everybody else. I, I, I practiced. I, I really understood that, you know, to become really good at something, you have to, you have to do more. You know, obviously, when you're growing up and you're playing baseball, you have your scheduled practices with the teams. But any chance that I could get outside and, and go hit some balls or, you know, I, I even remember if my dad was at work or something, I would just throw the ball up in the air in the backyard and, and practice my catching. Same thing with basketball. When my dad put up a hoop, I, I mean, I, I took advantage of it. And I remember that I, would, I couldn't go in the house until I hit a shot from five different points outside. And I think what really helped me was just that, that, that edge that I had that it, it's not so much that I was going to outwork everybody else. I, I was going to do my part to become better and better every single day. And, and again, it wasn't like over one summer I became great. I, I continually progressed and, and I remember, I remember, you know, when when I started playing senior basketball, it was, it's when you're uh, a freshman in, in high school. So I was 14 years old, you know, and, and when you're playing with in, in the senior ball, you're playing with 14, 15, 16 and 17 year olds. So I was playing with these guys that were three and four years older than me and they were monsters. And I'm like, how am I going to even compete? But you find your way through it. And then, you know, by the end, when I was you know, the oldest kid and part of the, uh, you know, the group when I was 17, I mean, I was averaging 17, 18 points a game, but the biggest jump I remember was when, uh, when I was at overnight camp and, you know, you, you realize when, and it was funny, I was thinking about this other day, I bought a new home with my, my wife and my seven-year-old and we, uh, we have a hoop at the end of our driveway. And my son's gotten into basketball and, and I still, I'll go out every day right now, still, now that I, I have a hoop, I'll go out and I'll shoot for 10, 15 minutes a day just to kind of get my, my shot back. But I remember distinctively being, and, and this, I don't know, this memory just popped in my head the other day. I remember we were playing another camp and it, I was 16 or 17 and I was, I was really, I was this, I was at the top of my game. I, I was probably one of the top uh, top basketball players in the camp at this point. Um, 
from from a camper standpoint, I would say probably top three or top five. And we were playing this tournament, and I remember I I the first couple sequences, and I I got the ball, hit a jump shot, come back down again. I get the ball again, hit another jump shot, come back down again, three and three in a row. And I remember the coach on the other team shouted to his players. He goes, "We found the shooter," <laughs> meaning we 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 found the scorer. So then what happened was I, I remember I had to adjust my game because now they thought that I was just going to take jump shots. So again, they found the shooter, quote unquote. So the next time we come down, the ball goes to me again. And instead of taking a shot, I pump fake like I'm going to take a shot. The guy goes for it. I go right around him and I just start doing layups. So, and I just distinctly remember when, you know, the focus was on me but it didn't deter me from continuing to do better. And I, I remember that the application of practice always makes practice and not trying to be the best, but trying to be my best. I've taken that to everything that I've done in my career, whether it was personal training or running my gyms or being a nutritionist or a business coach or a network marketer. But the funny thing is, I've always risen to the top without, not without trying. That was not my intention. It wasn't like I'm going to be, I, I was the number one enroller in the company. You know, I, I joined a, a networking group called BNI. Within six months, I was the chapter president. I, I just always had that, that inherent leadership skills. And, and I remember I was, I was having dinner with my mom about, a, uh, about six, seven months ago. And we were, we were talking and, you know, my, my wife, you know, she's always been told that she's got something special about her and, and people have said that to me. And, and my mom said, it's funny that you bring this up. She goes, Scott, I remember distinctively picking you up from preschool. And she goes, you were about three or four years old. And, you know, I got you into the car, put you in your car seat and the teacher came out and followed me and she pulled me aside. She goes, listen, I just gotta, I gotta tell you something. She goes, there's something really special about your son. She goes, there, she goes, I don't know what it is. There's just this, this glimmer in his eye. There's something really special about him. So, and I, I, I know I have this intuitive side of me that just naturally comes out. People say, how did you learn how to speak? How did you learn how to put yourself out there and inspire and motivate? I just started doing it. It's, it's one of those things that it just, it just happens. It's, I always correlate things back to the gym. You, you don't go to the gym once and look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You have to work that muscle every single day, just like in life and in business. It's the same thing. You kind of have to be determined to reach those goals in a way. You can't just, oh, I'm just going to go bat batting practice once and then I'm going to hit homers the next game. You have to keep practicing and practicing. And I know growing up for me is I kind of was looked like a wild card. Like no one expects anything good to come out of me. But yeah. the way that I proved people was keep staying motivated, keep going for it, showing what I'm able to do. And people were seeing the results and they're shocked. People are seeing what I'm capable to do. And it just shows, like you said, practice gets makes you get better. You talked about how you were you taken on the role of the gym when you were in college. 
What were you going for in college at that time before you had to make that transition? So there's a funny story behind that. I, I was a business major. So I started off at, at University of Pittsburgh. And looking back, and, and this still amazes me, like I, I look back to when I started college, you're 18 years old. I, I mean, people don't like, you are so young. I mean, literally you, you graduate high school in June and then that August you go to college and all like I, I, I can still feel that feeling of what it was like the first day of college. It's you grow up really fast and I had good structure in my life, but maturity wise, I was not ready for college. I, I was not, I just, you get there and you know, it's, I, w I was on a campus with 19,000 other kids. So class, it wasn't like high school where you went to high school and you bopped around from classroom to classroom. Like in college, if you didn't feel like going to class, you, you, you to. didn't go. Nope. Yep. They don't, they don't take attendance. Like you just, you, you just don't go. And I'm, I'm going to, I, tr I really did. I really tried. I swear on my life. I really tried when I was there, I, I lasted three semesters. I had to come home anyway because of my, my, my father's situation. But I remember my freshman year, I really did try. And, and it was funny. I, I did fairly well in, in the major classes that I took, but this is not a, a, a prerequisite anymore, but here's the interesting thing in high school. If you, this is what, I don't know if Pittsburgh still has this rule. I mean, this is back in 1997. If you didn't have two years of a C or above in a foreign language, you actually had to take it all over again in college. Ooh. Uh, yeah, like oh. horrible. That... And, it was... <laughs> and so I, I remember I got like a C in Spanish one and Spanish two was really hard. You know, I was a sophomore and I got a D and this was in high school. And that came back up and they're like, well, yeah, you, you have to you have to take it over again. So I had Spanish every day, Monday through Friday for 50 minutes. Every, and, and this woman did not speak English. Like it was straight on Spanish and it was really challenging. And I, 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 went, I went to her for help after and it didn't matter. I just could not pick it up. And that really affected my GPA. Um, I probably would have had in the mid twos probably my, my first semester freshman year, which I, I would have chalked up as a victory being on my own for the first time ever in my life. But I ended up getting like a one nine, one eight because I did terrible in Spanish. And it, it basically just, it just kind of snowballed from there. I ended up pledging a fraternity. You know, you want to talk about making a, you know, it, it was great. I had a fun time doing it, but it didn't help my academics. And uh, I, I ended up, leaving Pittsburgh with really nothing under my belt. I, I think I left with, in the three semesters I was there, I think 15 credits total that were able to transfer. I ended up going to uh, Montgomery County Community College for a summer and a semester to get my GP up and then t transferred to Temple. And I had I had to literally start all over. I, I went to, I, I still graduated in five years but because such little credits transferred from Pittsburgh, I actually had 
to go to back-to-back summer sessions two years in a row. So when I, when I transferred to Temple, I went fall, spring, summer, summer, fall, spring, summer, summer, two years in a row. So yeah, I, I went to college for 24 months straight to catch up for what I missed. And when I got to Temple, it was my senior year. And I, I was now obviously still working and, and going to school full time. I was 22, um, just turned 22. And I had been now working at the gym for over three years. So I, I was I was into this nice routine. You know, I was living at home. I would wake up early, go go downtown, go to school from eight to 12 every day and then go right to the gym, get there by one. And I was there until nine at night. And I remember <laughs> my senior year sitting with my academic advisor. And I said, you know, I'm excited to graduate this year. And she goes, I'm, I'm excited for you too. But she goes, you know, you do need to cl- declare a major to graduate. And I said, what are you talking about? I, I, I said, I'm, I'm a business major. And she said, yes, you're in the Fox School of Business, but you need a, a focal area within business, like economics or, you know, something. And I'm like, I'm like, oh. Oh, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I don't have a major. I'm like, am I going to be? So I said there, I said, listen, with all these classes, business classes that I've been taking, what am I closest to with a degree? So she was looking at all the classes that I've, and, and I did, I did, I did actually really well at Temple. I think the two and a half years I was there, I ended up with like a three, three or three, four. Okay. And I, I brought my GPA up all the way, like combined, because they combine them all. It was almost at like a 2.8 or 2.9 by the time I graduated. She said, you're six classes away from having uh, a bachelor's in human resources. I said, sign me up. I'm in. <laughs> so I ended up finishing out my, my last year. I think I took four of the six required classes that first semester and then I, I didn't want to like overwhelm myself the last semester, but ended up taking the last two uh, classes required, and I graduated with a, a bachelor's in human resources, which which was great because I was dealing with recruitment and retention and all of those things anyway with my gym. But I'll tell you this, Alex, like the education that I got in in being in business at such a young age, you couldn't teach me in university. But I I think the combination of being in the real world as a teenager and you know it forced me to grow up really fast most of my friends were still in college so where, where i was you know if there were i'm not proud to say this but there were many weekends in the very beginning where i i went to the gym hungover because you know i was you know 19 20 years old still hanging out with my friends you know being a kid yeah but but again i i i made the best of it and I grew up really fast and I, I got all of that stuff out of my system at an early age. And I think the health and wellness side was really good for me because it, it, it taught me about taking care of my own body. And the way that you do one thing is the way that you do everything. And it's translated into everything that I'm doing today. You mentioned a great point. Uh, when me talking to a lot of people, they say college gave them some experience, but when they get out into the real world, they get more of an experience and they learn more about what schools should be teaching them, but they can't because everything is based around a book. 
And I think a lot of people can relate to that is we're getting that experience now and we're learning each day. No one comes out after college learning everything, knowing everything. So you brought up a great point. While owning the gym, how was it after you graduate, keeping on the role, working it, managing it, that you kind of were ready to take the next step in your career? I mean, it was great. I, I, I got... I got certified as a personal trainer and sports nutritionist in 2000, so um, just over 20 years ago. And it was, uh, yeah, because I started the gym in 98 and I just kind of was just helping to manage. And then two years in, I ended up getting my certification in sports nutrition and personal training. And that was, you know, I, I graduated college in 2002. So that was, you know, I was still, you know, a junior in, in college and, and getting certified. So I was preparing myself for life after college. And I, I still, I did nothing with my degree. I don't regret going to college at all. I, I, I had a much different experience than a lot of people did. And I, I lived the college life, you know, for a better part of, of a year and a half at, at Pittsburgh, but I have a younger sister. So vicariously, I ended up living through her. She went to Bloomsburg University, which is another state school here in Pennsylvania. And we're three years apart. So as, as I'm graduating, she's entering her freshman year. So, I mean, my sister will tell you, I, I was, I was up, up there visiting her at, at least once a month um, I mean, there was a time, there, there was, there was one year, I think it was her junior or senior year. I went up three straight weekends and my friends would come with me because, you know, we were, we were 20, you know, 23, 24, 25, like we were all single and we started living vicariously through, through her. And it was, it was, it was great. But, you know, when I, when I graduated and I, I stepped into this next phase of, of my business career, what I learned being in business at such a young age, again, I don't think I would have learned in college. Like I think you, you alluded to this, that they can't teach you that kind of stuff in a book. It, it's You just have to go through it mm -hmm. and grow through it in life. But I, I was excited. You know, my, my parents helped me. Literally, I graduated in, in June of 2002. July of 2002, I... I moved downtown uh, three blocks away from the gym and rented my first apartment. So I, I moved out of the house as quick as I could. So I've been out, I, I've been on my own since I was 22. And that was really refreshing because it, it allowed me to, to be in the environment. You know, we, we, we lived in the, in the city and we had a city gym. So it was a neighborhood gym. So I wanted to be a part of it. I, I wanted to be near all the members. I, I, you know, it was the cheers of gyms and it was, it was so amazing because also 22, you know, all the bars around there and I was working and I was personal training and I owned the gym. It was just a really good time in my life because I was, I was finding myself and I was honing my skills as a networker. I was honing my skills as a connector and also a business owner. I, I was doing the things that you needed to do to, you know, support local business and support the area and, and, and develop relationships with the members. And, you know, being at uh, having a family business as well was just amazing. Having my mom and my dad when they were together, 
you know, running the, the gym together and my cousin came on board. So it, it was, it was a, a really wonderful time in my life. When you are taking on a client, what is your mission with that client? How do you view success with them? Well, success doesn't look like anything to me. I think it's felt. So every person that, that comes to me for help has a different end goal. And I think that's what makes me very diverse. I'm not one of those coaches that has such a streamlined system where it's the same thing for each person. The first question that I ask someone is what aspect of your business are you requiring the most help with? And then they tell me how I'm going to help them. So then I cater my coaching to the need of them because it's like if I was a culinary coach and I only taught how to roll sushi, if someone's coming to me to learn how to make chicken parmesan, how, how am I going to do that? So any great coach can adapt and change and bob and weave. So I have a, a foundation and an infrastructure in place of how I work with people, but the work that I do, it, it depends on the client. So if a client, do they usually have like a list of goals that they want and you kind of just see where you can fit in the timeline or it's just, it takes it day by day because sometimes their goals change over one day. So how yeah. do you go about that? Well, we do a lot of goal planning and I, you know, the one big thing that I've learned that people struggle with is, is vision casting. You know, I ask, I, I continue to ask questions. What's your ideal life look like? What, what do you want your business to create? So when I start to help the client gain clarity on what they're looking to achieve, then it makes the coaching easy. And why a lot of coaches struggle with getting their clients success is not that they're, they're bad coaches. They're not asking enough questions. Mm -hmm. Questions lead to answers. So I will constantly ask as many questions as I can so I can peel back as many layers as I have to to reveal exactly what that specific client is looking to achieve. So everyone is different. The best advice I can give for any coach is ask as many questions as possible. But for any client that's looking to hire a coach, make sure that you are as descriptive and as visual as possible with your potential coach so you can get the best of them. I think they just have to be prepared for any questions to be asked so that they're not thinking about it and then they don't give the wrong answer. They're able to give you the answer that they want to obtain over time. Talk about the different coaching you do. Um, what are those types of businesses and how do they differ? Have you used prior skills to help you grow in that area? Yeah, so I mean, I've been coaching for nearly 23 years and it started obviously with personal training and sports nutrition. And then it kind of turned into online wellness with network marketing. And then that merged into doing uh, online brand building and business building using LinkedIn. So I now help clients that are entrepreneurs or coaches that are in sales or they're, they're looking to build a business, how to build their brand, how to gain more organic visibility and, and close sales using LinkedIn. But if, if you look at my, my timeline of all my coaching, it all revolves around the same thing, solving a problem for someone else. 
So I'm a problem solving coach. So when, when in the beginning, people would come to me, I need to lose weight, I want to gain muscle. I had a solution for that, showed them how to work out. I want to lose some belly fat or I want to lean up, I don't know what to eat. I had a solution for that. Here's a diet plan. Then I got into network marketing, help people with that, building teams. And then it's just kind of culminated into this, this bigger picture of now helping people that really want to stand out because everyone's doing the same thing right now on social media. Everyone is giving this look of success and I can help you. And I tell, there's some times where I tell people, I'm not a good fit for you. I don't think I can help you. The clients that I work best with are the ones that are crystal clear. They know exactly what they want or they're on the cusp of knowing what they want. They just need someone else to pull it out. And that's what I help people do, but I'm a problem solver. And the best businesses are always built on the backs of people that create something that solves the problem that a lot of people are having. And for me, I know that a lot of people are having problems standing out on social media, generating leads, building their business, building their brand. And that's what I'm best at teaching. I think we see that with a lot of entrepreneurs and people that are mentors when they say that, why are you creating this product? Why are you creating this service? And basically you said, to solve a problem. If you're not solving a problem that's not needed out there, you're not gonna find the success that you're wanting. So you gotta fit into where you're needed and what's that product or service you're working with. Exactly. How did you use LinkedIn um, to effectively convey the message that you're wanting? I know with everyone during this pandemic, uh, social media is being accessed more and a lot of people are reaching out during LinkedIn or using LinkedIn more. So how do you convey a message on LinkedIn? Well, th- there's two parts of that. Number one is is doing some, it's a push-pull, myth, push-pull method. So the push is actively reaching out to, to contacts that you have uh, on LinkedIn. And you wanna craft a message. And it, I, I call it the magic formula. It's a very simple three-step process to creating automatic connection between you and someone that doesn't know you. And step one is literally just messaging them and mentioning their name, you know, Hey Alex, great to be connected to you. The second part is bridging the gap between the two of you and why you should connect. Uh, I noticed that you also had a business podcast as do I would love to hear about it, share more about mine to see how we can best support each other here on LinkedIn. So I basically, I, I, I created the foundation of why Alex and I should connect. So when he reads the message, he's like, that does make sense. He's got a business podcast. I have a business podcast, but I've also used one of the most important words in the English language. And it's the word support. It, it's been studied that when someone just reads the word support and they say it to themselves in their head, it actually triggers a release of something called oxytocin from your brain, which is your feel good chemical. So you have dopamine, you have endorphins, you have cortisol, and then you have oxytocin. So people automatically feel better just by reading that word. So it's gonna bring them closer to you. And then the third part is just doing a call to action. You know, questions lead to answers. You have to ASK to GET. So I would just say, you know, do you have any time this week or next week to hop on a call? So you state their name, reason for reaching out, connecting the two of you, and then do you have any time for a call? So that's the push. 
the poll is providing content on LinkedIn. And this is also the mistake that a lot of people make. You're not looking to sell anything on LinkedIn. You're looking to raise attention and awareness about what you do. And you do it two different ways, educate and inform. So whether you're producing a post, you're writing an article, you're doing a video, you want that content to do one of two things. You want it to either educate your audience on something that they may maybe know but need to know deeper about or inform them about something that they're not really sure about that maybe they heard. And you can do this through lists, you can do this through tips, but as long as you are speaking to the audience about what they actually wanna hear and not what you wanna say, that's how you can best use LinkedIn right now because people are so visible right now on social media because everyone's home, so they're spending more time on the platform. So don't sell, don't pitch, educate and inform because that's going to bring your audience closer to you i think that's a great tip because i know a lot of people i've been seeing are posting videos but they're trying to sell their product or sell me something and if i'm not interested in it, i'm just going to skip right to the next post so i'm looking for those posts where someone's informing me educating me on something because i'm going to take that time to listen to hear what they have to say and try to see if I can learn something new that I can use in my life. I think networking is definitely a, a huge thing on LinkedIn. Uh, I networked with Michelle Smith, who you know, and that's how she introduced me to you. And yeah. I think that's been the best thing I've learned about myself is just reaching out to people and getting as much knowledge as possible. And it's the perfect time to do that. How do yeah. you network to fulfill what you need? Well, first of all, if Michelle's listening to this, just a little shout out to her. So much love and gratitude to her. She's the best. And, you know, network, like that's the most important aspect to any business is your ability to network with others. So I follow the principal teachings of the science of getting rich. That was a, a book written by Wallace D. Waddles in 1910. And it says a lot of great things, but, but the primary thing that it teaches is instead of living in a world of competition and comparison, live in a world of creation and collaboration. Those that create and collaborate the most are the ones that are going to become the most successful. So people don't realize that, I'm sorry, you can try to automate aspects of your business, which you should, but if you're automating your connection, if you're automating your, like, your, your messaging, you're missing out on the most important aspect, which is you. Your ability to network with others Everyone is one connection away from really making that leap in their business. So, I mean, you can see right now by what I taught Michelle how to actively network, it led you guys to connecting. You guys had a great conversation. She mentioned certain things. You mentioned certain things where I came up in conversation. She did the introduction. We got on the call and now here we are in your podcast and what, who knows what's going to come from this, but something good, because that's what happens. So if anyone is really looking to build the best business, treat your business like a 401k and not like a lottery ticket. You have to make those daily deposits every single day. You have to be willing to have those conversations. I've been booked every hour on the hour since 10 a.m. this morning wow. till seven o'clock tonight, straight through. I have calls every half hour and I love it. But again, you heard what I said. I didn't start till 10. 
and I'm done at seven o'clock. And I'm not starting again till 10 o'clock the next day. So the fact of the matter is when you can create that kind of structure and you can protect your time where my, all my time every day is spent networking, that's what's going to build the best kind of business. Talk about um, being part of the Forbes Coaches Council. How was that a big honor for you to be a part of that? Well, you, you have to be uh, recommended for it. So it's, it's by invitation only. So one of my first marketing managers, Tanil Curry, I was working with her and she just said to me, you know, your work is so dynamic. She goes, I have an in with the Forbes Coaching Council and I would love to recommend you. Um, obviously, you're, there's going to be an interview process. And so she recommended me back in 2018 and I interviewed and I submitted my work and they accepted me and I've been a member ever since. And just having the ability to be a part of the coaches council as an expert in lead generation, but also uh, being having the ability to write for Forbes.com. It, it, it just adds to my credibility. I don't need to be a part of it. Um, I earned it and it's been a wonderful experience. And, you know, having that, and, and again, that goes back to connection. If, if I never would have connected with Tennille and left that imprint on her of, of what my craft is and how good I am at what I do, she would have never made the recommendation to Forbes Coaching Council. So again, it all comes back to connecting. Something we do at the end of each podcast is we kind of look back at the time. And for someone getting into the industry you're in, what tips or advice would you give them to succeed and rise to their challenge? So three things. Number one, be consistent. And I actually talked about this in a video. Uh, consistency defeats out anything because this is the, the long game, as I stated previously. No matter what you're doing, you, to create that compound effect, you've got to be consistent every single day. No days off, whether it's a lit, little bit or a lot, you have to be consistent. Number two is having a clear vision. If you can't see where you're going, you're not going to know what to do to get there. So making sure that you have a crystal clear vision of, of the life that you want, the goals that you want to achieve. Clarity is king. So the more clear your vision is and you're consistent, you're going to achieve those goals. And the third and final thing is taking action every day. The cure-all for feeling stuck is taking action. When you take action, you are defeating being stagnant. And when you combine those three ingredients, that's the recipe for success. Being consistent every day, having a clear vision of where you're going, and taking action on those goals and visions you have will allow you to succeed. And it's not going to happen overnight. People see all the success that I'm having now. This is 22 years in the making. I'm not telling you it's going to take 22 years, but this has been daily every week, every month, every year, day in, day out, working and honing, not being the best, being my best, and always being a student. Even though I'm a teacher, I'm always willing to learn. When you think you know everything, you actually know nothing. So always look to grow and move forward. So what does the future look like for you? Do you have any goals that you're trying to achieve or anything you want to accomplish over the next few years? I mean, I, I have goals every single year uh, to continue to grow my business, but most importantly, to uh, continue to grow my impact while leaving my legacy while I'm living, not when I'm gone. 
and really just creating such amazing products and solutions for people where they achieve the success that they deserve. So I always tell people I am not responsible for the success they are. I am responsible for giving them the keys of how to succeed and just continuing to, to hone my skills, write more books, spend more time with my wife and my son, creating that time and monetary freedom that, that I'm, I'm truly doing right now and literally just enjoying one day at a time, focusing on the only time that I can control, which is the right now. For all the listeners that are listening to this, they can learn a lot from your rise to the challenge. And I thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about your journey. Um, I definitely want to stay in touch because I can definitely learn even more from you. So I appreciate the time that you've taken for us today. Well, Alex, thank you again so much for having me. Just grateful to be here and grateful for you. So thank you again. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major podcast platforms, including Pandora. You can hear my guests talk about their rise to the challenge and learn what tips and advice they would give someone to overcome their obstacles and challenges to accomplish their goals. Remember, you decide what path you take and how you rise to the challenge. Have a great day, everyone.